electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thank you very much, and welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner from our new home at the New York Stock Exchange and front and center this hour. The state of stocks, they're falling sharply, as you know. Rates are moving significantly higher as well. The investment committee debating whether this early year rally is now over and where the reversal could take us. Joining me for the hour right here at Post 9, Josh Brown, Stephanie Link, Joe Terranova, Shannon Sakosha. Everybody is here. Let's check the markets. We are down by about 550 on the Dow. Take a look at the S&P 500. We are, uh, tell you what, you blink and we may be below uh, 4,000, Josh, before you know it on the S&P. Certainly, if if we're not careful, we may give that up seems just a matter of when, perhaps, at this point. Yeah, so basically, I think we might have gotten ahead of ourselves. Oftentimes, at the beginning of the year, especially after a bad year, everyone looks up and says, all right, last year was bad. It's very unlikely to follow a bad year with another bad year. Uh, And you see money being put to work by the likes of uh, financial intermediaries who are rebalancing. They're taking money from what worked, adding to what didn't work. So a lot of that stuff is systematic. And then a narrative starts to form. You get a little bit of disinflationary data. People start to feel a little bit better than they had ordinarily felt. And then you get a situation where all of a sudden VIX is at 17. And the market just completely looks out of character from what the prior trend is. What we're doing now is reversing that. you got a VIX back at 23. Uh, that is the highest we've seen since before Christmas. Mm-hmm. You've got a 30-day uh, moving average for the puts-call ratio at the lowest level since late 2019. That's going to now correct. You'll see a little bit more fear uh, manifest itself in the options market. And I would just tell viewers who think that this is something new, it's not new. Uh, typically, we see something like three separate 5% pullbacks in the market, regardless of whether it's from the high or not, in any calendar year historically. And that's an average. So oftentimes, it's even more than that. So I think a pullback is okay. You understand it. It's coinciding with higher uh, rates on bonds. A lot of the enthusiasm for a quickening pace of the Fed winding down now going away, and you're just seeing that push-pull here in the market. It's okay. Steph, I think, you know, I think Josh nailed it, by the way. And I think it goes to why we got here in the first place. It was, you know, positioning. And then he mentions a narrative. This narrative starts to build. Well, you can make a case and some have that it's a false narrative built on the idea of a Fed pivot. Yeah. Uh, and the economy, OK, it's going to hang in there. We're going to have no landing. Right. And then it feeds on itself. And I wonder if we're in the early stages of giving some of that back. We could be giving some of it back. I mean, we're up on the S&P 500 about 5% year to date, 11% on the NASDAQ. Technology is up 11%. Comm services up 13% after getting destroyed last year. And let's just keep this into context. The long-term total return average for the S&P 500 is 7%. So you're getting basically a whole year's worth of performance in a month, right? So I wouldn't be surprised to see a trading range. But I think you know I feel a little bit better, actually, about the overall 
overall economy, right? We talk about jobs all the time, initial claims, wages. Well, we got the ISM services number at over a little bit over 50, and the, comp the composite also over 50. That's expansionary. Now, I'm not saying we're, we're going to expand in a massive way, uh, but services is the bright spot for this economy. Jobs is the bright spot. Initial claims is the leading indicator, and that is the bright, a bright spot. And so I think the consumer is in better shape. Retail sales we got last week was also better than expected. And I know we're going to talk about Walmart and Home Depot in the next block, but I think that there definitely are some bright spots in those companies and their reports. So I overall think earnings are going to hang in. I think zero to two percent for the full year is too conservative, especially companies that have pricing power, and, and especially because you have the supply chains that are easing and you have China reopening. Not everything is hunky-dory. I get it. Housing stinks, and, and manufacturing is really um, on the cusp of a, of a deceleration. But I do think overall, stepping back, I just feel better than where I had been. Part of the problem, Joe, is that strength in the economy now is a problem down the road because yeah. it's only going to embolden the Fed. Yeah. The Fed is only going to do more. They're, I mean, they keep telling us that. It's in, in, it falls on deaf ears at, at some point. The bond market has started listening in the last few weeks. The stock market has, to some people, been delusional about what really lies ahead. And I see Shannon shaking her head. Yeah, too. But but Joe, is that part of the problem? By the way, you know, Jonathan Krinsky says we've broken some short term uptrend uh, for the S&P UBS conditions are not in place for a sustained rally. And then Mike Wilson really doubles down and sort of underscores this idea of what got here, got us here in the first place. This false premise of a pivot. You roll in positioning. You've gotten multiple expansion that really can't be justified under current conditions. How do you want to respond to all of that? I think today is a day where you have to talk about the taxable fixed income market. You have to look at what bonds are doing. And if there was comfort that was provided to the market, it was in the stabilization for investment grade, for high yield, for emerging market debt, for the value of the U.S. dollar. Really, that was for the better part of the last three or four months. Now in the month of February, you actually have a negative return for investment grade, for high yield, for the emerging markets, I think that's signaling the message that you're speaking towards exactly. I always listen to the bond market. The bond market is saying, well, the Federal Reserve is ultimately going to have a higher terminal rate and equities are going to have to catch up to where that terminal rate ultimately is. But the discomfort that we're seeing today within the market, I think, is a direct result not so much of the S&P or the Russell or the NASDAQ, but the disappointment that's being felt in investment grade, in high yield, and in the places that were offering us comfort. The other part of the bond market, which has been screaming, obviously, Sham, which we've talked about for so many weeks and months, is recession, right? You have the inversion of the, of the yield curve. And people said, you know what, we've seen this movie before. It, you, know, you don't always get a recession when you have an inverted curve, but you never have one without it. And they say it's just inevitable, along with everything else that you have to worry about. Yeah, well, I think that to Joe's point, I think we've been talking about this disconnect between the bond market and the stock market for months now. And we keep saying, why are the equity markets not looking at what's happening in the bond market? Why aren't there expectations? We've seen evidence potentially of a softer landing. But the data that Steph was talking about over the course of the last four or five weeks, it's clear that the sizzle has stopped, has started to fizzle, if you will, in the market because we are seeing a spike up in good spending. We saw a spike up in services spending. We saw inflation as a result of that. 
if you look at the basket, you see that trend not improving at the same pace. And that was what Powell warned about. If you go back to the last meeting, is he was asked, you know, could the will the trend that we're seeing persist in terms of inflation improvement? Let me ask and, you this. Is is a strong economy right now a friend or a foe <clears throat> to the market? Steph paints a picture of which it's a friend. Yep. It's it's a, something to hang your hat on. It's going to carry us through potentially. Others would say, no, it's your foe because it's going to provoke, you know, incite the word that Joe has used at times, the Fed. Well, I would counter that and say, do you think we're not going to have a recession later this year? Do you think that we're not going to see a contracting economy in the fourth quarter in the first? I think we see a shallow recession. And so I think that any evidence that the Fed does not anticipate a shallow recession later this year, any evidence that they have to be more restrictive to Joe's point, that is a negative for the markets because the expectation was starting to be priced in that we would have a very modest contraction. It would not be across all sectors and industries. So therefore, there would be places to hide, places to invest opportunities. That's a concern if the Fed remains restrictive, even in this next couple of three, four or five months. But in fairness to Steph, I mean, there there are places within this market that still may be places to hide or places where you can invest. They just may be dwindling more as you know, the economy weakens further. The Fed continues to talk and do more. I mean, that's the biggest risk to everything is that the stock market has underestimated the resolve and the willingness of the Fed to push it. Maybe it's underestimated the momentum in the economy, right? And, and, and all of the tailwinds we have seen from all the stimulus that we put in place three years ago, that is actually higher than when we started the pre-COVID. We're at $4 trillion in stimulus still in the economy. And I think that is a, a very big tailwind, number one. Number two, I think the consumer has been resilient. Everybody wants to throw away the consumer, right? The consumer is dead. It's not dead. Not, not with a 6.6% retail sales number year over year last, last week. And lodging away from home at 7.7%. It's services, which is 70% of consumption. It's a big part of our economy. And that's why I always come on and I say, we got to look at jobs. you got to look at wages. Looking at jolts, looking at ADP across the spectrum, jobs are really, really strong. Sure. And that is the momentum. Is it going to slow? Yeah, it is going to slow with a 5% terminal rate, well, right? I mean, because it's a okay. lagging indicator, the strength in jobs. <laughs> it's going to, it's, you're already seeing the, the early signs. It's just rolling along seeing, in different industries. You're seeing the early signs of layoffs in technology primarily. I have been tracking my entire portfolio, right? And I'm just looking at the percentages of layoffs in my portfolio. And it's very diversified. So it's across all sectors, right? And stocks. And actually, you're not seeing layoffs in most of those sectors. It's primarily tech and comm services. And that's because they were fat and happy and overhired and overspent. And now, they're coming home to roost, right? So now they have to lay off. And I'm not saying it's not going to be material. It will. But I think there's other parts of the economy that are actually seeing strength. Look at the industrial companies. I mean, that sector continues to lead. If we were headed into a recession, that sector would not be leading. Materials, it's not too far behind. So it's really the cyclical sectors that are actually holding up better than the growth companies and the technology companies and the, the ones that everybody has wanted over the last the couple of years. The other idea, Josh, is sort of we talked about you know, why we, we got here, but let's talk about what's gotten us here, too. And that goes back to what Wilson's talking about today. The bear market rally that began in October from reasonable prices and low expectations has morphed into a speculative frenzy based on a Fed pause pivot that just isn't coming. It goes to 
the more speculative parts of the market, you know, stocks that are up, you know, I don't know, what's Coinbase up? 80% from the lows after being down 85% last year. There are a million of those other names I could bring up. It just comes to mind because it's going to report earnings and it's, it's top of mind. But how about what he says? This speculative frenzy. Well, he's right. But then on a day like today, you see how ephemeral those gains are. You could have a you could have a, a stock rise for six weeks, go down for one. Last week was a down week in the market. Today is a big down day. You could see the entirety of those gains go away just as quickly. The important thing is that none of those stocks are in the index, so we don't really care. Like Coinbase is a spectacle, but it doesn't matter. It's not a it's not a heavily weighted component in the Nasdaq. Like for example, Apple. It, it just it's. It's it's interesting and it's definitely a sign of something. Okay, uh, I, I, I want to use it. I use it as an example. Now I could have easily said, Nvidia. Well, Nvidia's up fifty. What is it up? More than fifty percent to start the year. Sure. I use it. I'll, let's use but, that one. That reports earnings this week. Is that move justified or is it all part of this? Wilson frenzy. I don't know if if it will be justified by this quarter's earnings. That's quite a big gain to have one quarter be the determinant of whether or not it's justified. But was falling 75% last year justified, given the actual fundamentals? Absolutely not. So you can have stocks like NVIDIA go down 70, up 50, and maybe have a 5 to 10% differential in the fundamentals themselves. That's common with high growth stocks. I want to return to something, though, that you had asked Stephanie, which I think we should re-examine. I, I've been on Wall Street 25 years. I swear to God, I have never met an asset manager or fund manager who has ever said, I'm hiding out in these stocks. Maybe they are, but they don't say it out loud. Have you? I think people are buying stocks that they think are going to go up. I don't think anyone actively says, let me take 10% of my allocated portfolio and go hide out somewhere. It's just not the way I think large pools of, of money move now. Well, when, when you're a long-only manager and you have to be 100% invested, yeah, but yeah, do you, you, can, tell, you can hide out in like more defensive sectors. But my do you tell about, the investment committee, of, we're just hiding here, I don't like these no, stocks? No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't characterize no it as that. I wouldn't. But my point of saying, why are the industrials rallying? Why are the staples lagging? I agree with you. So I'm I just looking at the observations of what the market is telling us at this point. Might not be right, might be totally wrong. But I actually do think the fundamentals in some of okay. the cyclical sectors let's are really defi- Let's define terms, though. But when we say leading lagging, most people would say that means they have the biggest gains. That's not what's going on with industrials. What's going on with industrials is they have the most stocks that are within a few dollars of their 52-week and, in some cases, all-time highs. Yes, they are. Okay. But they're not leading. What is leading, Mike Wilson is right, is garbage. And it, well, you, you've got stocks up 90% since January. They ain't industrials. industrials. You know what they are. There are a lot of industrials that are at an all-time high. All-time high, but not leading. So okay. it's really important that we define terms. Industrials have the best charts in the market right now, have the most stocks in uptrends, and have the most stocks that are very close to all-time highs. That's not the, the actual leadership. The actual leadership is profitless NASDAQ junk. Right. And that, I think is where your biggest risk still is, despite the big moves we've seen here today. And I would 100% agree with you. So is that then, Shan, the, the most precarious part of this whole thing? Are those stocks that you know have jumped from the beginning of the year, are those the ones we need to most watch out for? And then if those are the ones that have carried the NASDAQ the most to start the year, is the NASDAQ now at risk of another serious decline? 
Well, that the enthusiasm for those stocks was based on the fact that those valuations looked attainable, based on the fact that there was ex expectation for a Fed pivot. So yes, I, the question that was asked to me earlier, um, before we came on, was, is technology most vulnerable? I would say not all of technology is most vulnerable. I would say there's parts of communication services, there's parts of healthcare, biotech, that are more vulnerable than big cap tech, because we're looking at it in terms of what, what had a run in January based on the fact that we were looking for this pivot. And so when you think about the numbers that people are looking at, those big declines that Josh big, mentioned big earlier. Big did also though, right? But, but those declines that Josh was looking at from last year, there was an opportunity for people to come back in and say, well, given that these stocks were down 70, 80, 90%, they must be, you know, cheap at this point, but they're only cheap if your expectation is, is that the Fed is going to cut rates significantly and be at a much, much lower terminal rate at the beginning of 2024. There's a good debate, Joe, in the market as to whether mega cap tech is still too expensive. You know, obviously they came down a fair amount last year, most having the worst years that they had had since 2008. Yes, they're up. They're not nearly as up as, in Josh's words, some of the Nasdaq quote unquote junk, but Amazon's up 16, Apple's up 17. The debate is still being had as to whether those multiples in those stocks are justified. Well, you use the word multiple, and the year-to-date gains are all about multiple expansion. So now the question is, is the fundamental environment justifying the multiple expansion? When you, if you introduced it over the last week, we're now talking about a higher terminal rate. That's a risk to the E when you're looking at that multiple expansion. So I, I think inherently you could call into question the entirety of this hyper growth rally, which is really what 2023 has been all about, underneath the surface, there are opportunities that I think you could find where the valuations are reasonable and where you understand that the change in that terminal rate doesn't risk the earnings model yeah, as significantly. You, you, you didn't and you don't obviously believe in the mega cap rally to start the year because you sold out of Microsoft and Apple and you have admitted that you're not positioned in any way for what's led to start the well, year. Well, you don't have to look at your screen. How am I doing today? You know how I'm doing. I'm outperforming today because well, I'm, positioned, I'm positioned for this because I don't think the fundamentals are there that are representing that this is the time for the multiple expansion to Josh's point, to Stephanie's point, to Shannon, this entire conversation. If you have to be fully invested, call it whatever you wish, hiding out, defensive, cautiously bullish, wherever the case may be, you're going to design a portfolio where you believe it's got resiliency and it could absorb some of the okay. challenges. So let, right? me, let, me, let me pose this question then, uh, Steph, because if, mm. if, if you want to be bullish, you better know darn well why you're bullish. Part of the whole conversation that we've had since the start of the show is if you were bullish because you thought a pivot was coming, then maybe you need to check yourself because <laughs> it doesn't seem like a pivot's coming. All right. So if you cross that off the list, what's next? But I'm not what's bullish next? because of a pivot. Well, I know you're not, but I'm just saying in the general sort of conversation, what the narrative was, let's put it this way. We never would have had this rally the way that we did to start this year if that narrative wasn't there, Agreed. okay? It was, it was way based 
Okay. Agreed, 100%. On this idea of a pivot. So if that was false to begin with, then what are we hanging our hats on but that's now? Why, but that's why I always look and, and cite a lot of the economic data points to you, right? Because if we were falling off of a cliff in January, the data points were negative, well, then you could have made a case. And everyone was making a case because inflation was coming down a little bit. But it's still really elevated, right? We got CPI PPI last week and that basically told us the numbers were still very, very high and that the Fed continues to do and we're going to have to do more hawkishness. Is it just keeping it at five for a long time, maybe, maybe until the end of the year, until maybe even to next year? That's hawkish, in my opinion. Is but I'm strong... looking at the data points in the economy okay, and to I'm gonna... give me the confidence. I got you. But is that based on a false premise, too, that what's strong today means we're going to be strong tomorrow? Therefore, we're supporting the multiple because earnings are going to be good and stock prices right. deserve to be where they are, if not bought here. I well, as I said at the beginning, I think we are a little ahead of ourselves just because we had such nice gains in the beginning of this year. At one point, the S&P was up 12%, right? I mean, for, on the year. So so to me, it's like, yeah, maybe we're in this trading range for a while and we have to actually assess the economy and get the data points. And that's why I'm laser focused on the consumer because it's such a big part of the economy. And it's really been a surprise to the upside, but it's been a shift from goods to services. Why can't that last for a long time, right? We had three years of pent up demand. And oh, by the way, China is just reopening now. So they're going to have pent-up demand. And the numbers that we talked about overseas have actually come in a little bit better. Well, you better be careful then, I'm saying not you, but the, the broader public. Got to be careful on what kind of stocks you're in. And yes. after the break, we're going to talk about Home Depot. Falls into this category, yes. too. If you're buying fewer goods and you're into more, you know, different kind of, of spending now post-pandemic, you have to think about all that kind of well, stuff. One thing I would, just, I would just bring into the conversation, which I think is really important, especially in this day and age, a lot of times stocks are moving because they're moving. And so when you start the year with an improbable rally in January for the hardest hit uh, uh, former growth stocks that had gone down 60, 70, 80 percent, when they bounce 10, there is an algorithmic component to what happens here in the markets every day that cannot be ignored. And algorithms will trigger buy orders into those stocks. And you could fool yourself into believing that, oh, wait, maybe it's more likely the Fed's going to cut sooner or maybe we're done with the rate hikes or maybe because you're looking at price action and trying to come up with the story that justifies it. What you're doing, though, is you're anthropomorphizing software programs that do not get emotionally attached to these narratives. Look how quickly today. Oh, wait, forget it. The Fed's not going to cut. That's not what's going on. What's going on is profits are being taken because volatility has come back. You've got all sorts of algorithmic programs out there operating. They're not in love with their own stories or their own thesis. They're just making trades based on something that was working up until last week, stopped working, okay, now they go the other way. We should not ascribe human emotions or, or um, narratives to every tick. Um, and I think a lot of what we're seeing right now is just machines chasing other machines. Sure. I'm, we're, I think we're talking also about, you know, not every tick, but multiple ticks. And I'm talking about ticks higher in rates. And, you know, rates have been steadily rising for the last couple of weeks. And the more that that happens, Joe, the more pressure is going to be put on equities. It's just inevitable. Bond market's leading indicator. It has been for the last nine months. It's going to continue to be the leading indicator through 2023. It's the leading indicator today. It's been the leading indicator in the last week. Now, that doesn't mean to some of the points made that there aren't things to do. Shannon, you added to Cisco and IBM. 
Yep, absolutely. I mean, we, you know, we, we trimmed CDW, which had been a, a, a name that we added last year, done really well. It was up 20% this year. And I felt like if I looked at my technology basket, which we've continued to diversify over the course of the last couple of years, I thought that the valuations made more sense in Cisco and IBM. I think there are company-specific catalysts, but there's also a really nice dividend, for instance, being paid on IBM. And I think when you talk about, Scott, and to Josh's point, hiding out in places, this is not hiding out. There are catalysts for these companies. Companies, but they are not trading at those outsized multiples. So it makes it a great way for me to take advantage of the exposure without overpaying for it in this environment. The Cisco move. Tell me about that. Did have they turn? Has the stock turned a corner? After, after last week's earnings? I, I think it has, and I think that what we're looking at is, is the potential for the margin to improve, if you think about the, the subs that they're going to bring on from a software perspective. So there, is a, there are certainly reasons for me to be feeling more positive about, to Joe's point, the E in this particular company um, and versus where you know, I see potentially uh, earnings being challenged for other technology companies this year. All right, so let's do this. Let's take a quick break. Next, we have our chart of the day. We've mentioned it. It's Home Depot falling hard after earnings. There's the stock now, 6% down. Shannon owns it. We're going to get her read on that. We'll find out how the rest of the committee is playing the group, too. we got to talk some Walmart there as well. We're back from Post 9 here at the New York Stock Exchange in just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, there's your ugly big board look right now, 574, 576 to the downside for the Dow. Uh, Home Depot, obviously, a wait today, which is why it's our chart of the day. Those shares are falling. They did their first revenue miss since November of 2019. So, Shan, what's, what's your read here post earnings and with the stock down the way it is? Yeah, so the, com- the comps are going to be really challenging, and we knew that. And they're going to probably be challenging for the first half of this year. If you look at the third quarter and you go back, what really boosted the stock was that they had a decline in transactions the same way they this- did this quarter, but the average transaction cost was higher. And so same thing with this quarter, but those prices are moderating. Um, I think, you know, if you-, if you look at what management said, they talked a little bit about lumber. Just the overall basket is declining from a, from a transaction cost perspective. And so with those numbers of transactions moderating, 
operating, we can expect to see more of that. The challenge here is, do you want to be in a home improvement, you know, spot exposed to this right now. And I and I think one of the things that I look at from this particular quarter is certainly DIY would have been on the back burner for anybody looking to spend for the holidays. I continue to think that with mortgage rates remaining high, and I agree with Joe, I think we're in a longer you know rate environment, that there's still going to be a catalyst for people to come in and improve their homes. But again, the first half of this year from a comp perspective, particularly with lumber, is going to be really challenging. Second half of next year, I think the comps improve. And I think longer term, if you think about brick and mortar that needs to remain brick and mortar, Home Depot is a great example of a place where people go to spend. Shannon, so, it's an 18 multiple. In what scenario would, be, would you be more surprised if it went to 20 times or it went to 16 times? Because I could see this selling down 16 times earnings much easier than I could see. So if earnings, are not gonna, if earnings are not going to grow, like for me, it just feels like this is the type of stock in the absence of a catalyst that could get cheaper with good fundamentals. It, it could potentially get cheaper from here. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to argue with you. I, I think that there's a lot to, to, to do if we want to see this multiple expand. However, I think they're taking the, the cost of higher wages. That's an, that's an explicit cost that they're taking this quarter. So they're preparing themselves for the next 12, 18 months. Services labor is hard to come by, so they're getting ahead of that. And they have invested a significant amount in their e-commerce platform. A lot of companies have not done what Home Depot has done. So I think about the costs as being in the rear view and then potentially seeing revenue grow in yeah, the second half of the they year. They just announced another billion dollars of investments in the face of kind of the challenges ahead. So are they, do you think they're actually that much more ahead of the competition or are they kind of in panic mode? I don't think, I don't think they're panicking. I think that they're looking ahead to the next 12, 18 months where we start to see a rebound in the housing market yeah. and we start to see perhaps some invest, investor sentiment turn as well. I think that they're just throwing it in all in one basket right now to get ahead of that. Isn't this one of the posters, Joe, of, of, Higher inflation being good for earnings and disinflation good being for revenue, at least. bad for, right. well, so I mean, in terms yeah. of revenues. Without question. Um, <laughs> this one sort of screams that. Without question. But if they do, then who else is? So first, let me just respond to, to Home Depot. Um, th- this went into the portfolio at the end of October exactly for the reasoning that you're talking about. You saw the, the earnings growth acceleration, and it was very surprising. People were looking at it and saying, well, Housing is contracting, but yet Home Depot is seeing that they're earning sales growth. Um, that sales growth is now disappointingly, I think, going to continue on a multi-quarter basis to decline. So to your point on the, the PE and the multiple, you're going to see that multiple contraction. We're no longer in it. We're out of it in, in the month of January. But I think, Scott, you have to look at other names. You certainly have to call into question lows in this environment. Can they have that type of resiliency? Um, and, and I wonder to a certain extent if some of the, the big box retailers, like a Costco, if, if they're not going to feel a similar degree of pressure. Well, I mean, it's margin issue for, for all of these that you need to think about. But how, what's our read, Steph, on, on Walmart? <clears throat> you know, they, 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 that stock last I saw was actually turned around yep. and, and was higher. Um, their outlook, though, was, was a bit light. Their same store sales were a bit weak. They talked about consumers being more cautious on non-food stuff where, you know, food's, food's less profitable. Right. So how, how, what's your read on, on a stock that you don't own, but nonetheless you watch close? Well, I own Target, right? So I keep an eye out on Walmart all the time, and it's the behemoth in the industry. You have to. I thought the quarter itself was actually really good, right? I mean, an 8-3 comp when expectations were for five, gross margins beat, EBIT beat. And yeah, the, the guidance was a conservative, I think, for this year, is fiscal year. 
Um, about 2% of that is fundamentals and kind of higher costs, labor costs, but about 8% of that was below the line items. So the headline reads really poor, but when you dig through it, it's really not terrible. And I think, again, you're at the beginning of the fiscal year. And so I think it's prudent to be um, very conservative. Now, I worry about Target because one of the highlights for Walmart was grocery, which is 56% of total revenue. And that was up mid-teens in comps, right? It was discretionary. That was down mid-single digits. Well, that's that's my point, And that's right? why I worry about Target because their mix is a little bit different. It's only 20% is grocery. So I'm bracing for probably another choppy quarter, but I do think inventories, by the way, that has been the theme even at Home Depot, yes. and I expect for the whole group. Inventories this year are coming down. We saw that with Walmart and Home Depot. I expect the same thing for Target as well next week. And I think that that's going to be pretty powerful once you've got to kind of get through it. Flush it all out um, and uh, and see where the multiple, see where earnings come down and then where the multiple is at. All right. Straight ahead, we are going to do our call of the day. It is a downgrade on one stock that Josh Brown just bought last week. We'll see if he is sticking with it. We'll get his thoughts. We'll find out what the trade is. And during February, we are celebrating black heritage through the stories of some of our CNBC teammates, contributors, and business leaders. Here's Sony Osaji, CNBC Events Senior Director. My parents first inspired my interest in news. As immigrants, they taught the importance of global awareness, education, and civic engagement. My parents left their home country of Liberia during a terrible civil war to build a new life and careers and to create opportunities for my brothers and me. Both of my parents, they're educators. My dad recently retired from a long career spanning academics, research, and public service. And during this time, he fulfilled a lifelong dream of running for president back in Liberia. I am inspired by their story. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Bertha Coombs. Here's our CNBC news update at this hour. Speaking before thousands of people in Poland in the last hour, President Biden warned there will be hard and bitter days ahead, but promised that the U.S. and its allies will have Ukraine's back for as long as it takes. A dictator bent on rebuilding an empire will never be able to ease the people's love of liberty. Brutality will never grind down the will of the free. And Ukraine, Ukraine will never be a victory for Russia. Never. As I visited a house near the site of the Ohio train derailment, the state's governor and the head of the Environmental Protection Agency drank some tap water in front of cameras to show their confidence in the testing that's been done to make sure dangerous chemicals on that train are not getting into the water supply. The EPA is ordering Norfolk Southern to conduct and pay for the cleanup. 
Don't miss Morgan Brennan's interview with Norfolk's CEO this afternoon on Closing Bell Overtime. And a Democrat from Rhode Island is leaving Congress. Representative David Cicilline will become the CEO of a foundation in the state. He's the first House Democrat to retire without seeking higher office in the current session. Scott, back over to you. All right, Bertha, thank you very much. That is Bertha Coombs. DocuSign shares. Take a look. They are tracking for their worst day of the year after a big downgrade at UBS. Josh Brown. Yes. They go to sell. Mm. They take it to sell for a stock that you just bought last week. Just what do you, I mean, what do you make of the call? Yeah. Uh, well, what do you tell people? Look, a lot of the downgrades now are coming from analysts who are upgrading it to buy in the summer of 2021. So I, I try not to get overly focused. But the commentary here is interesting. I actually think the analyst has it backwards. DocuSign came out and announced layoffs, which put the stock up at almost $70 a share. It was initially looked at as good news. I still think it is good news, but that is the reason for this downgrade. According to the analyst, it's a sign of weakness in demand. I think the, the thing to think about here is that DocuSign is following the playbook. This is what is working and will continue to work for the higher multiple tech names where profitability is still in doubt, which I would say DocuSign falls well within that class of stocks. Um, and so I think the more they can do to right-size their workforce with what the actual revenue and eventually profits will be, the better. They should be doing it now and not waiting. So if that's a reason in this analyst's opinion to downgrade the stock, I would look at it the other way. I would say these are the types of situations where you want to get interested when these companies are finally taking the medicine. Um, so DocuSign is an $11 billion market cap here. Um, I think it's a massive opportunity for the company long term. I just started a position. I haven't really bought that much yet, but this is the type of situation where I get an opportunity to build my position. So I'm actually not so upset about it. I think I asked you at the time when you revealed that you had bought it, that yeah. the stock had already moved a, a, a lot, yeah. which is already, it's, it's mentioned today as well, right, in the downgrade, that they're reacting to what they they say a 54% rally in the stock off of the December lows. Yeah. Um, all right. I mean, can you see that part of it? It's like, look, the stock has moved a ton. How much more can it really run, especially at a time where we are sitting here like we have been from the beginning of our show questioning some of these moves? Yeah, this is a stock that went from 300 to 48 and then rallied up to the 60s. And maybe high 60s, 69, 70 wasn't appropriate. That's possible. Um, but again, I think this is a situation where it is the most unloved area of the market by Wall Street, maybe not by traders. None of these stocks have upgrades coming. Uh, all of these stocks have just been absolutely thrashed. They had a bounce. Maybe they give some of that bounce back. I don't think you could just blanket buy them. I don't think the ARC strategy is, is making a comeback. I think you have to say to yourself, what sets this particular name apart from other names in the group and why is it unfairly being treated this way? Uh, and as I said earlier, I don't think DocuSign is a work from home stock. I think DocuSign is an important technology. It's got legs far into the future. None of us on this desk are going back to wet ink signatures ever. So really the story here is a question of competitive threats from other companies offering e-signatures. I think that risk to the story is overstated and DocuSign is going to be a much bigger company a year from now, two years from now. So I'll be building my position here. And when they start upgrading the stock, that's probably when I'll be looking to sell it, not when they're downgrading it. Gotcha. I've owned it. Excuse me. I'm sorry about that. I've owned it in the past. Okay. I know the company well. New CEO. 
they're turning things around. They're focusing on free cash flow generation. But all these stocks, all these stocks that have risen 30, 40% at the beginning of the year, and they lack the profitability, why not a secondary? Why not raise capital, pay down some of the debt, and turn the balance sheet around? And I think it's important for investors to understand when you're buying these companies, that's ultimately the right strategy from a CFO and a CEO in an environment like this. All right, so let's do this. Let's take a quick break. A few big earnings are coming up after the bell in overtime tonight. Palo Alto, Toll Brothers, Coinbase, all seeing strong gains so far this year. We'll get the take from the committee next. We got some interesting earnings coming up in overtime tonight. Coinbase, Palo Alto, Toe Brothers. Did you, uh, Josh, ever own Coin? Uh, probably for like 15 minutes after it came public. <laughs> it's up 82 like percent. I haven't owned it in over a year, but no, I'm not in it. Uh, it's going to be interesting uh, to see what happens there, just given the fact that, as I said, the stock's up 82 percent year to date after I think being down something like 85 well, percent. So last the, the year. story, the story with Coinbase is that when they first came public. They came public on a wave of the massive crypto rally, but bigger than that, their margins for institutional trading um, were not as big as their margins for retail. And the bear's thesis, which has been borne out, is that ultimately those profit margins for retail trades, even if retail enthusiasm stayed as high as it was, which of course it fell off a cliff, were never going to be sustainable. They were making most of their money trading with their smallest customers, which on Wall Street is like kind of a red flag. Like people don't people don't gen, generally like that. So we knew that spreads would tighten and you wouldn't ha- make as much money. So it's like almost a race of two different things at once. Number one, margins probably will never hit those highs ever again and are probably on a permanent downswing. Mm-hmm. Anyone that knows anything about the traditional brokerage industry knows commissions ultimately end up at zero. Um, and then number two, was there a resurgence that they could point to with Bitcoin's price being in a 50% rally from its low. The word is no. Well, most of that, that doesn't fall into this not, quarter. The, the, and, and the word on the street, if you want to call it that, is that retail has not fueled the run in Bitcoin. Yo, can I just to start can I one like, bigger picture thing? Fidelity, I give them a lot of credit. They actually went forward with uh, custodying Bitcoin and ETH. Like most large companies would look at the reputational risk of that, even though they had been planning it for years and say, you know what, we're not going to do that. They actually went forward and did that. So now if you're a Coinbase bull, ask yourself, let's say this trillion dollars in in retail and institutional money is going to come back into crypto, which open question. Let's say it does. Most of it's not going to Coinbase if Fidelity is in this market. Most of it's going to Fidelity, because that's like a sleep at night custodian uh, brokerage firm. And Coinbase maybe used to be in the space because of how early they were at recognizing that they had to be compliant, et cetera. So I think like now, even if Bitcoin and ETH rally sustains, you have to ask yourself, how much share is Coinbase going to end up with with Fidelity in, in, in the business? I don't know the answer, but it's probably less, right? So that's just like another headwind for this stock strategically. Maybe it doesn't matter this quarter. It'll matter uh, going forward. All right. Up next, Mike Santoli is with us for his midday word. And we are getting ready to grade your trades. You can email us, halftime at CNBC.com. We're back after this. All right. There's your 
intraday on the S&P, we're pretty much hanging around uh, the lows here, 4,012 where we are right now, down one and two thirds percent. Rates continue to creep higher as our senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli joins us now here at the Stock Exchange for his midday word. It's, it is about rates, right? Rates go up, stocks go down. Well, it's largely about that. I think really it's the speed of the repricing in, in treasuries that is way too much for the market to handle after it ramped up six and a half percent in January. So, you know, we went from 340 to 390 and change on the 10 year treasury yield in three weeks. And to me, what it's done is it's reduced the stock market's margin for error, but it's not fully eliminated it. Do we think there weren't going to be 5% pullbacks? We're not even at a 5% pullback uh, at this stage. There's still a little bit of room to say, okay, this might just kind of be somewhat routine. Um, I do find it interesting. Obviously, valuation is not cheap. There are headwinds in that, from that direction, not just from yields, but just because you know earnings look like they're chopping lower. Uh, so clearly, we're not going to get a green light on that front. But um, you know, a lot of the things that fueled the rally since October, which was, look, no stagflation. If nothing else, the, the growth picture looks okay. Uh, that still remains in place. So we'll see how it settles out here. We're going to fight the battle of 4,000 in the S&P, it looks like. All right, we'll see you in the market zone yep. uh, during closing bell. Look forward to that, Mike Santoli. Grade My Trade is up next. We're right back. We're down one and a half percent on the Dow as we do grade my trade. Shannon, you are up first from Mike and Peabody, Mass. I think that's how you say it, right? Uh, high halftime. I bought 50 shares of United Health at $488 on January 6th. Should I stick around with that trade or put money elsewhere? Well, Mike, um, I, I think if this is a shorter term trade for you, you might want to put your money elsewhere. Um, UNH has been a long term hold for us. We trimmed it last year, though, because we expect medical costs to continue to rise this year as utilization increases. And so from a managed care perspective, I would rather be in other places or adding to other places in healthcare right now versus managed care in this environment. All right. The Linkster from Jim in Toronto. I bought Zoetis on November 20th at $143.65. Should I hold for a better price to trade or hold for a longer time? I would hold it for a longer time. It's a $40 billion total addressable market. That's animal health. Companion animal, these guys lead that space and it grew 15% last quarter and they just guided double digits for the full year. I think the trend is very favorable. The only thing that's not is the valuation at 31 times earnings, but I think this is just a hold for the long term. Okay, we will step away. We'll come back. We'll do finals next. Let's get right to Steve Kovac with a news alert regarding Microsoft and NVIDIA, Steve. Hey there, Scott. Yeah, so we see Activision shares coming off session lows out of this news in the EU that Microsoft has a deal now with NVIDIA and its cloud gaming service. Now, this is a remedy that Microsoft is offering in addition to get this Activision deal done based specifically on cloud. Now, shares aren't moving too much on this, Scott, because the UK is still going to decide on this deal at the end of April, but this is a big new concession uh, with NVIDIA because NVIDIA, along with Sony, was one of the two companies against the deal. Now it looks like that Microsoft is offering to put on their cloud gaming service Xbox games in order to get this deal done. Uh, we've reached out to NVIDIA for some more details and I have more back soon, but uh, that's where we're at right now, but still a lot, long way to go before this deal's done, Scott. All right, good stuff. Steve Kovac, thank you very much. Sure we'll thing. watch uh, both of those company shares 
throughout the remainder of the day. And by the way, do not forget to join me on the new closing bell today, 3 o'clock Eastern time. So we're going to walk you right up to those Coinbase and Palo Alto earnings, which are key. I've got Adam Parker joining me. And then a closing bell exclusive interview with Corvex Management's Keith Meister. Get his thoughts on where we are in the market, some of his latest moves as well to share with all of you and look forward to that. See you at 3 o'clock Eastern time. Sham, what do you got? Final trade. Eaton, uh, global electrical grid needs improvement, strong balance sheet, strong dividend. All right, Joe T. Copper up 10% year to date. Freeport McMoran is the way to play the tree. FCX, Stephanie Link. General Mills, they're raising guidance this morning led by their Blue Buffalo pet business. All right, yeah, that's a nice gain right there. And Josh Brown. Next era energy, bouncing off support, nice dividend yield. I like it here. All right, so we'll keep our eye on the market. You got the Dow, uh, which is down by more than 500 points, as you see, S&P as well. We're watching that. I'll see you in closing bell. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.